We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello and welcome to the Esports Biz Show. I'm your host, Justin Jacobson. This week we'll be discussing the esports business. Just as a disclaimer, nothing here is intended as legal advice. As all of the information is for educational purposes only. This week's guest is Christian Bishop. Christian is the director of Twitch Properties for Esports and Gaming. Prior to this, he was the chief revenue officer for esports organization Method. Before working at Method, he worked at Eastar Studio. He acted as a president of business development for Thunder Gaming, as well as worked at an ex- as an account executive at Time Warner and AT&T. Thanks for joining us. Hey, man. Thanks so much for having me, Justin. That's uh, quite the intro. Thank you, buddy. My pleasure. You know, you've obviously done a lot of stuff, so let's kind of explore your journey a little bit. You know, tell us about your past esports and gaming experience. What was the first game you played and how did you kind of get involved in the esports business? Yeah, man. Look, for me, I've been a gamer my entire life. Um, It certainly has been a dream come true um, in a lot of ways for me, to be honest with you, Justin, being able to kind of um, try to build value and and create communities and support creators uh, in the space. You know, for me as a kid, I think my first games were Sims, uh, Age of Empires, Stronghold Crusader, Red Alert, um, Warcraft were kind of my early ones that I played. Um, as a kid, like a, like a really young kid in elementary, I was pretty big on like Sims and roller coaster tycoon games. I used to go over to my aunt's house to use her computer to play because I didn't have one in mine. And so I spent a lot of time over there. She was my, certainly my favorite aunt. And, uh, and I ended up um, going to boarding school, man, where we would just run lands, play a lot of uh, 1.6 Counter-Strike uh, on land lobbies, StarCraft, um, Smash you know, during our breaks and stuff, man. And then got into MMOs pretty heavily, World of Warcraft, EVE Online, um, you know, was end up becoming launching a, a gaming club. I was president of the gaming club back then and played a lot of video games and, and tabletop like Battletech uh, and D&D. And then transitioned to college, man, and kept it going. And, you know, for me, you know, how I got in the, in the space was, you know, I, I majored in business, was told to go, you know, get a job, corporate America route, did eight years in that space was pretty successful. Um, it's traditional tech and media companies, and then uh, jumped on a, a TV show and, and did some work on a couple shows with ABC um, on camera stuff, and and came back I was like, look, man, I don't want to go back to you know, doing what I was doing. I want to go all in with video games, and that's exactly what I did. Sacrificed and didn't make money for the first two years, man, to start my own company in the space. Amazing. So you've definitely been around. That, that was really interesting. I, you know, at the old boys school where you guys was like, what else do we do? Which, you know, link up our Xboxes and just play and our computers and just really kind of go at it. So it's pretty exciting. 
Um, so yes, tell us a little about your current role with Twitch. You know, what is it? What is your day to day like? And what are you working on there? Yeah, man, Twitch has been really great. Um, to be honest with you, there's a ton going on. One of the things that I love about the opportunity is that you know um, my team works with you know all of Twitch properties, and that's first party and third party programs. So first party, think things like TwitchCon, Twitch Rivals, Twitch Game, Twitch Games, uh, excuse me, Twitch Gaming, and then you've got other things that we're developing like Twitch Sports and Twitch Music, right? Like, what would that look like? Or obviously, we're doing a lot in those spaces. But then we have a ton of third-party partnerships as well. So you think of like um, esports awards, game awards. We work with Bandai Namco for their Tekken and Soul Calibur League. Um, we work with esports teams like Liquid, and so it's it's given me an opportunity to work on monetization, right? Closing deals for some of the the what I believe to be the best properties and programs in our industry, um, especially from an esports competitive gaming um, standpoint, um, as well as thinking through how do we develop new experiences um, for the Twitch viewers amazing so we all know how influential twitch is and kind of how they've kind of positioned themselves from you know justin tv origins you know love the name to now twitch that kind of has these verticals that so how do you kind of work you know with esports and gaming and some of the new ones that they're starting to develop do you see ways to work with them or is it like you're just kind of focused on the gaming stuff uh, you're thinking specifically like esports titles, Justin? Yeah, I think esports titles and also even, you know, as you were mentioning, Twitch sports and Twitch music, which we know they've had some live NFL games on Twitch and they're really trying to push that as another medium to connect with the Twitch users. Yeah, you know, I think there's a lot to come to see how things develop. Obviously, there's been a lot with the music side of things going on with Twitch here for a bit and we're making some progress there in different partnerships. Um, and Twitch Sports around rights, you know, he secured Thursday Night Football, which will be on Amazon, um, Amazon Prime can be able to can like watch that. I think is going to be big to see how that continues to affect our platform and different experiences. But doing a lot of cool programs with like um, co-streams with different creators around, you know, Gallus did had a pretty awesome NBA partnership where he was like playing, you know, watching the NBA and streaming it in Brazil. And they were doing that all around the world. So I think it's like, look, I think we'll see more crossover um, and what will be interesting is, is to see kind of how that develops. I think it's a little early for me to be able to share more details on it now, but I think it's going to bring new people to the platform. I think we're seeing Twitch continue to grow month after month um, significantly with the community and the audience. And you've got all these like really you know new niche you know people coming together um, and then being introduced to like other games and whether or not it's like a just chatting creator um, or something else that they're interested in. So I just like the melting pot effect, right? And just having more people come, you know, I think our core is strong enough from a gaming point of view that I don't think we'll, we'll ever dilute it to, you know, too much to the point where it's problematic. Um, I think we'll be welcoming new groups, which will overall improve everyone's experience. Definitely. So how does it kind of work with, you know, Twitch rivals and some of these other properties? Like how do they determine the talent, the casters? Like what's that process like? The great thing about Rivals is we always work with the most relevant and exciting games. So like what I always appreciated and I watched from the outside was Rivals was like always first to do like a really cool tournament for like a game, whether or not it was like Among Us when that came out. Um, it could have been something like with Fortnite or whatever game that just rolled up that's like really hot and they were all playing it. Um, and then Rivals like is just first. So I, I think that's like really cool. Um, and, and something fun to really just celebrate each of these communities and the games that pop up, which like we don't really always know, right? We don't always into, like anticipate what's going to be the big game of you know 2022. Maybe it's it's Halo, right? I think it's probably a good guess, but like we'll see what else pops up. 
and rivals is, is always first. So that that's great. And with that comes, you know, which talent I think are, you know, are invested in these communities. Um, and then we try to work with, you know, that talent um, and the people that we've had relationships with for years that we think are still a good fit. So, so we do find ourselves signing some deals with talent from a long-term point of view, but I think we're always looking for great new people, especially in some of these niche games. Amazing. I think that's something that, you know, everyone out there should really kind of take note of. It's like, you know, there is a value in kind of cultivating, you know, community in a game that maybe isn't, you know, Call of Duty or League of Legends where there's just so many people streaming it and there's just such levels where you kind of create your own lane with something that you're passionate about and who knows it could become a huge smash hit and, you know, Twitch Rivals looks at you now. Yeah, I think that's the fun thing just in general, like about life, right? Is like when you have like these passions and you have things that you're interested in, um, stay true to that, right? And like do the work and try to do great work, whether or not it's creating content, you know, storytelling, providing utility, right? Like a website that supports your community, whatever it is. But like it kind of like goes back to me just even my core roots is just being a kid as a gamer and then told like, go be productive, you know, get off your computer, go outside, go do something versus like my dad being supportive and being like, Hey, how can I support you here to do more around like computers? Cause I was like, I was like that kid building computers and like playing games and building communities as a kid. And like, and him being like, Hey, how can I help you do more here? And where would I have been if he leaned into what I loved, you know, versus me kind of having to come back to it later in life. Uh, and I think the same is true, right? Like in these, you know, for other people that have things that they're passionate about, lean into it, lean into it and give it your all. And, you know, you'd be surprised like what can come from it. And it doesn't even take like super big things, right? To just have a level of success. Um, you can be like really successful with like niches. Absolutely. I think that's definitely something that, you know, the viewers and listeners got to take to heart. So tell us about your previous role with Method. You know, what did you do there? And what was so unique about, you know, working with an esports organization? Yeah, I was the chief revenue officer for Method, um, overseed our partnership and sales team. So anything that touched revenue, I focused on whether or not it was talent deals and negotiating with talent, signing new talent, doing deals for our creators and streamers, negotiating with the platforms for media rights. Um, And then, of course, you have things like sponsorship deals, uh, merchandise. Um, You know, we launched a new platform for desktop applications. We were acquiring websites. Um, to support these different communities we're in and monetizing them. So kind of all these things were, you know, fall under my purview. Um, but for me, it's like, look, I also just loved World of Warcraft. Like I mentioned a little bit earlier, like as an MMO, that was one of my first games that I really fell in love with in a serious way. So having an opportunity to, to work, you know, with and for the number one team in the world uh, that's had the most success historically the past 15 plus years uh, kind of came full circle. It was really cool. Um, so it was just great to also be on the team side. And when you kind of look at like my experience and like the things that I've done, you know, we'll talk about eStars in a second, but you know, I was running an eSports league as commissioner over there and then having an opportunity to come be on the executive team for an eSports team was awesome perspective. You know, I built an eSports arena in a studio, um, you know, for gamers and I was, I was on the venue side um, and then now I'm on the platform side. So I'm getting this very well-rounded kind of, um, experience and perspective in our space about like what matters from every corner and um, which has been really cool definitely i mean i think that's something that you know is definitely overlooked but at the end of the day you know when you're operating one of these teams 
you know, you need revenue. You need to understand how to generate it and how all these different agreements are structured, what the going rate is, what people are paying for certain people. And, you know, coming from each side of the coin, you kind of get a feel for, okay, well, if this person is going to do this, this is kind of what they should get. And, you know, it really kind of lets you kind of operate properly and, you know, really helps the team, you know, grow. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's super important, right? I, mean, I always talk often about, I think teams in these groups needing to get to a place of sustainability and being able to commercialize and monetize. And ultimately what I highly suggest everyone does is build your own products, right? Independent of a third party and so that you can continue to operate in a healthy way. And I think it's key. So yeah, so it's kind of elaborating on that a little bit. So what are some typical issues that, you know, an operating or starting esports team, you know, some pitfalls to kind of look out for when you're kind of going on this voyage? Um, you know, like specifically around esports teams, J- Justin. Yeah, definitely. Well, I think the challenge is is that we're seeing the space fracture, and there's a consolidation coming, and because everybody, like a ton of people, like want to create teams, but it takes right now it's so competitive that it takes a pretty big, significant amount of capital to be able to put yourself in a position have the runway and time to build a notable brand to the point of where you can get to monetization to be able to break even. It just does. Unless you have a very powerful niche um, or your team of like creators, right? Like take OTK, right? Like over, over you had, you, you, you brought a bunch of millionaire creators together that don't need money from the org. They already have revenue and deal flow. They already have audiences. They come together and build an org. Um, and can invest a little capital themselves and do that. Unless you're like an outlier like that, which are like unicorn scenarios, or you start in like a very, very niche community in like gaming space, um, say like Age of Empires, for example, like there's a community at Age of Empires that like signed all the top AOE creators and like they operate and they're just an AOE. Um, and they have like a, you know, they found their little niche and they were able to do that. So I, I think it's like... Um, I think there's a lot of pitfalls of trying to go too wide, too big, too quickly without the right people running it, without thinking through your strategy of how you're going to differentiate yourself. Um, I think relevance is incredibly important in our space, um, which ultimately leans to attention. We're all in the we're all in the business of, of securing eyeballs for what we're building and doing. And by securing eyeballs, which correlates into views, right, or traffic, then you're able to monetize that traffic either for your owned and operated programs or third party sponsors or whatever you're, you're, you know, you're marketing. Um, so a little bit of a rant there, but I think it's be pretty strategic and with your approach, if you're going to go big and you're trying to try to get into like the big leagues, right? I think like Counter-Strike, Dota, some of these like tier one esports, then have the capital. Um, otherwise it's going to be really tough. Um, Definitely. I think that's one of the things that, you know, you're kind of noticing is, you know, as you go up the rung, it's like you can either kind of have this hyper-focused, you know, fan base, like I know Method did with kind of Warcraft, which we know has its own benefits, or have, you know, millions of dollars and understand that, you know, I think it was recently that Guild Esports just posted that they lost $11 million, 11 million euros last year, and that was a good sign for them. So it's like, well, if you have a hundred million dollars, you can lose ten million dollars a year for five years before it matters. But if you have a hundred thousand dollars, you need to understand that and kind of be willing to approach it and know how you have to operate. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree, man. So what kind of benefits did the team see from having, you know, this Warcraft base fan? 
Oh, the cool thing about it is that Method was a legacy brand, been around for 15 years. And to me, legacy brands generally have kind of a first mover advantage in esports because they have that brand recognition awareness. Um, so like in esports and in the communities, like when you're trying to do things with creators or different groups, people know, right? Like people know um, who you are, which allows you to operate. Um, it's not even just like the young people that are still playing the games or creators or streamers, but it's also like decision makers at brands and the people at the game publishers that are like, oh, I know Method. Yeah, you've been in World of Warcraft. Yeah, I watched you, you know, when I was a kid or I watched you 10 years ago when like I, you guys have been my favorite guild. So there's a lot of power that comes from being a legacy brand in the space. And when you think about your esports teams um, that have been around a long time, that actually pays dividends in ways that are really hard to quantify. Like it's really hard to really like directly like see how that how powerful that brand recognition is on the pure business side. Um, and then on the on the other end is you have a community. You have a really passionate community of people that you've been around and investing in for for over a decade. And that community mobilizes around the things that you do in a way as well. They'll certainly hold you accountable when you mess up and when things don't go the way that they're supposed to go. But um, that's super powerful, right? Is to have a, a community behind you, in, in my opinion, is everything um, in our in our space. Definitely, because it's like you kind of can have this super dedicated fan base that, like you said, has been growing up with you. Like, I think one of the things you probably think about is Optic and kind of what's going on with that brand and kind of how it's, you know, been kind of all over the map at this point with all these different other um, teams kind of owning that. And then kind of trying to be more of what's going on now. And it's more about the fan base and actually the game itself. And, you know, that's a two different kind of approaches we see. Yeah, absolutely, man. So, yeah, I know we started to mention it a little bit. So tell us about your previous role with E-Star Studio. What did you do and what was some of the stuff you were working on? Yeah, man, I was the commissioner of a program that we launched, um, which was the World Showdown of Esports, WSOE. We've actually transitioned from the World Series of Esports, um, thanks to our friends over at ESPN and the World Series of Poker. They didn't like us having that name convention, but I was running the league. So dealing with game publishers, teams, the strategy of our program, of what esports tournaments we would run, as well as overseeing monetization um, and the team for sponsorships um, and what we were doing on that side too. You know, I'm always in some way... Uh, you know, tied to revenue, Justin, that's kind of my thing. Yeah, what I really like to do, right? Because like sustainability and that drives the fuel for everything and all creative you generally want to do. Uh, Got to be able to pay the bills, right? So, um, you know, both commissioner, you know, and uh, folks on monetization. Definitely, definitely a fan of making money. This is the esports biz show. You know, we're not talking about who won last week. We're talking about, you know, how you win. So tell us a little about, you know, the world showdown of esports. What were some of the games that everyone was competing in and, you know, some of the teams? Yeah, man, we would, you know, we would do stuff every month. We'd put up like $100,000 and fly in the best players from around the world and have this show. So we had, you know, we had a we had Buffer doing its all it's time thing on a mic. You know, he does like the UFC fights and stuff. We had him in studio um, opening our show segments. You know, we had great on camera talent, you know, narrating from each of these communities. Um, and we were kind of like almost trying to go the version of um, UFC styled, you know, fight matches where you would crown champions and we would give them medallions. They'd obviously get their prize pool, great checks. Um, and then they would come back to defend you know, their crown per se, their championship title. And we would have a second like runner up event and we would rotate events every, you know, every month. Right. So it could be like, you know, Dota in January crown that champion. And then they come back in like March, you know, to play 
whoever comes after them to compete. And we, and we did this in different titles. We actually were the first to work with Epic to do a massive, you know, Fortnite tournament in Manhattan beach at OGN's arena when that first launched. And we had a huge qualifier where thousands of people came in to earn a slot into our hundred thousand dollar Fortnite tournament. And it was a battle royale, hundred computers. And we had a couple of days of qualifiers. So you had all these people playing, trying to win a slot into our main tournament. And then we gave 50 slots to actual pros that qualified, um, you know, and, and we did things like that. And what was really cool about that story and why I mentioned it is what I, it's kind of one of the things I love Justin about like what we were doing is because, because of our program and our tournament and like what we did and what we invested cease and elevate two kids were on a team called gang stars, which is a really small team. Um, actually one of my friends started it, um, really niche team. Um, they won. And since that, they got discovered and they ended up getting signed to 100 Thieves. And then they they actually went on to win um, the Fortnite World Cup duos. So like kids that end up qualifying in our tournament, they qualified. They didn't get into invited. They qualified. They, they won. They ended up winning our tournament. They got signed by 100 Thieves and they became millionaires because they went to the Fortnite World Cup. And it all kind of started with them getting their chance winning our land. So we had all of a sudden like in a position in our space, we, we, we gave people an opportunity to get discovered at the same time to live their dreams which is exactly what i'm doing every day and like something i'm super proud about amazing i think that's one of the you know the unique questions everyone asks like oh what's the path to pro how do you how does it happen it's like well honestly if you do well in a tournament you shock the world you come out of nowhere and people are like wow these kids are great that's how a lot of this happens is you know the the team that just won from the open qualifier just you know, upsets the favorite and now everyone's looking at them. And it's like, it's so unique because that's not how really most traditional entertainment works, you know, whether it's sports, which we all know has this kind of established pipeline to really anything else where it's like, you know, one day you're just cruising along online doing your thing. And then the next day you're in this tournament. And after that, like you said, you're competing for millions of dollars. A hundred percent. I think it's like you put in the work and you're grinding and you're doing your thing. You just kind of put your head down and keep doing the work. It's magical, man. Right, and that's what makes esports so amazing where it's like, you know, these are the origin stories. It's like I just went to, you know, this random event with thousands of other people. I battled my way through, and I won this tournament, and, you know, look where I am now. Yeah, dude, it, there was more too, even Som. Um, there was another guy that was a Som on our team went up getting signed by CLG. He was completely unsigned and he showed up and, and won his way in and he popped off and like you got a guy that's like completely unsigned right not in the scene and he was like beating out pros and teams and like big influencers like myth that were playing there you know at our tournament and you know had you had him who just sat here and uh he ended up doing well in our program signed and then he won and he won millions of dollars too and so it's it's not even just like a random outlier there's like space there's a lot of space you know um you know, for, 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 I think excellence to rise to the top in our community. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, hopefully as things continue to progress, there's more of these opportunities and you have these independent operators that can really provide these unique experiences that, like you said, kind of being able to understand the needs of media properties and sponsors and what an event operator might need. And then the publishers, because, you know, I know this is kind of one of those big questions of, you know, what kind of rights the publishers exert over the tournaments and how involved they are. And, you know, every publisher and developer has their own 
kind of guidelines, but it's a unique thing when you're actually doing these license events and having to deal with them directly. So that was a little bit of how that worked. Yeah, man, you hit, you hit the nail on the head about something that's very actually difficult about being a third party tournament organizer. Um, and as an attorney, like, you know, this better than anybody, you know, are the publishers in the space control the IP around their games. Um, and they're, you know, they dictate everything. They dictate your ability to monetize the programs and tournaments, which you can do when you can do it. If you're going above board and actually going to them for a license to actually run a tournament and stream it. So like I had like TV deals um, and there was things that I couldn't do. Like I couldn't even do my TV deals because the publishers were like, we don't want our IP on linear television. We only want it digital. And some would be like, we only want it on Twitch. And you'd be like, you couldn't even multi-stream and multi-broadcast on other platforms. You know, others would be like, you can only have one sponsor. We don't want you to have multiple. And then others would provide you like a blacklist and be like, you know, you can't have wagering, you can't have alcohol. And those are like a bit more obvious, but uh, every publisher varied. Everyone was different. Um, and it was probably honestly one of the most difficult things about the job was actually negotiating with game, public, game publishers to protect those relationships, do right by those communities at the same time while dealing with the nuances of legal teams at publishers and biz dev teams um, that are either thinking like, hey, can we monetize this and charge them a licensing fee? But at the same time, like they're also helping us market their and like market our game. And how do we go through that? So certainly very difficult. Um, one of the hardest, th- hardest things about that job, actually. Definitely. I think that's kind of the big buzz about all of it, whether it's the franchise leagues and how the leagues are operating it or some of these other tournament organizers, some of the larger ones. And then you have kind of the collegiate non-professional scene, which I know is having its own kind of, you know, identity crisis, I would say, with how, you know, publishers have structured things. So I do think it's going to be interesting to see how this all plays out and, you know, if more organizers kind of can have more power. Because as you're mentioning, when you only have one sponsor, that severely limits your ability to do so much. You know, even flying out people, providing beverages, providing certain hospitality things that you could just get covered or have some money towards, you might be kind of iced out of. So I think it's, you know, one of these things that people have to be really aware of as you're doing these bigger events, that there might be these restrictions that are going to come into play. I mean, absolutely, man. And like one of the hardest scenes for us to, to actually participate in was Dota. You know, we, we put up $100,000. We had a $10 million studio in the middle of the Las Vegas Strip at the Aria. We cover full travel hotel, put people up in great hotels, full catering, incredible experiences. And we couldn't even get the top tier one teams. We could only get tier two Dota teams because our prize pool was too low of $100,000. It was either you had to pay teams a minimum guarantee or you needed to up it up. And it was almost like it had to be like a minimum 300K. And that's like, unless you were part of the DPC, right? The Dota Pro Circuit where they would get points to participate. And that's not so much a knock on them as it's just a reality of that space. So when you talk about like, if you want to enter Dota, either you got to be a part of the DPC and get approved by Valve to win like yourself a minor so that you could be a part of it so that they're getting points to play in your tournaments. And even then, they might like they might just want it to be online or you have to have the cash flow to, at scale to be able to provide the cash that groups are looking for to justify them going through the i guess the pain of even playing in your tournament because they already have a busy schedule and when you could a lot of them are international and they're flying around the world and it's like a grind and it's a burn on the players too so you know in all fairness to them they have to kind of protect themselves and like do what's most value like what makes the most sense for their teams um but it's just it makes it it makes it difficult as an operator you know 
Absolutely. So definitely, you know, as you mentioned, you've kind of learned the industry from all the different sides. So what kind of, you know, experience can you take from your previous work and you're now applying it to Twitch, you know, some of the lessons you've learned along the way? Um, you know, I think for me, it always kind of goes back to work ethic. You know, it's like, you know, I've always, yeah, that just comes from like a bit of it. Maybe I'm like born with it. I think I also like through my childhood and just kind of going through everything and then like military boarding school, like five years, I just have like a really high work ethic that I'm focused on like doing the work and getting better every single day. And I apply that to everything that I do. So it's like this constant focus of how do I like improve? And I may make mistakes and like things that I think like may not work out, but like this constant pursuit of like self-improvement, something I really believe in. Um, And like, again, I I started at zero, man. I started at zero with no relationships in the space, not knowing anybody, no brand, no friends. I didn't just get a job, you know, like I, I, I kind of grinded. So for me, I think more than taking it from past jobs, I think that to me is like the biggest thing is like, put your head down, go after what you believe in and continue to just push forward. And it's probably the thing that's most important. Definitely. So, you know, what kind of advice do you have for anyone that's trying to work in the esports business, especially from, you know, kind of the financial side that you've kind of attacked it from? Um, on the financial side, I think the best thing to do if you want to get in the space is one, come up with like your niche skill. Figure out like, what do you do that is how you bring value to others? What can you do that's unique so that you can help somebody else achieve their goals? And that's like the big question, right? Like, is it is it going to be that you're a great editor and you can help edit content? Is it that you're a business development and a revenue guy like me or Gao? Then you that's how you help add value. Are you a great handler of talent? Are you a talent manager? Are you more of an agent type person? Are you a great camera operator, a producer? Are you a good writer to help write storylines and scripts? Find your thing, find your niche, go really deep on that, and then be able to communicate and represent your excellence in that particular line of work that you're doing so that you can clearly go to somebody and say, hey, Nate Shot, this is what I do. I think I can help you. Here's my portfolio. Here's some ideas I came up for how I can help you and what you're trying to accomplish for your organization. Can I get a shot? Um, and then continue to like go after that, right? Like follow up different people in the organization, connect with them across all platforms, engage with their communities to like get their attention. And don't just like bang your head against a wall and just be like, hey, give me a job. Hit me. Sometimes you got to like just be a little bit more chill about it. And also be open, be open. It doesn't just have to be 100 Thieves, right? There's also a ton of other smaller organizations that want to be like 100 Thieves. Those are the ones that really need the help. The people that are really struggling is where there's a ton of opportunity. Now, it's not always most sexy and like the most fun to go work for those orgs because everybody wants to work for the biggest and baddest. But you also kind of got to work your way up and go through a process. And I think be comfortable with that grind. You know, Gary Vee calls it, he's like, eat shit. Be comfortable doing that, right? Like be comfortable starting somewhere and kind of going through your process. Um, You know, just you're not going to get to the top always right away. Right. I think that's an amazing advice where it's like, you know, you don't become the CEO overnight. That's not how it works. And in these highly desirable industries, whether it's sports, music, fashion, esports, gaming, like everybody wants to kind of be the whatever at the the Warners, the Sonys, the you know, the Pixars, the Hundred Thieves, the Optics, the, you know, all of the Immortals, all of these huge legacy team liquids, all of these big ones. But you have to kind of 
grow to that. You have to kind of, like you said, have a track record, prove yourself and come to these opportunities where you already have this kind of resume. This, this is the voyage I've been on. This is the information I know, and this is how I can help you. Yeah, absolutely. So what's your favorite part about working in the esports and gaming space? Um, my favorite part for me have to be the people, you know, it's like, I, I, what I loved about gaming the most is that it brings people from all around the world together. And like, like, I'm like, look, I'm a person of color. I'm a black guy. I was like that kid that was playing games. And it was like, if you played games and like, like, you know how crazy lobbies were back in the day and how offensive people could be. Um, and I was always that kid that was like scared, right. To speak up and defend myself or be like, Hey, you shouldn't be saying those things. And like bigotry and racism, like these things were rough. Um, and, and I was wanting to get away from it. And like, I met a lot of amazing people around the world where games kind of provided me that escape where it's like, you didn't, you were just, people got to know you for you without all that other, I think, superficial things about where you're from, what you look like, what you have, who has more money than the others. You just play a game and build relationships with cool people. And I love that. And I think I get to do that and work with people that feel the same way every day in our industry and interact with people who love it too that always that turn to games right for, for whatever their you know their their escape or whatever piece of joy that they were looking for definitely i think that's one of you know the things that people can you know consistently say is like you know not only working in gaming and all that stuff's fun but you know the people that are doing it are really doing it because they enjoy it and they kind of come from this place of understanding and wanting to kind of engage with other people and you know they don't think it's weird to talk to some random dude they never heard of on you know mike every night at 2 a.m for years that's just what it is Mm -hmm. um so yeah so kind of want to bring this all to the end so what's the future for you in the space and you know future for some of the stuff you're working on over at twitch yeah, I think it's more, right? Like more programs to support our creators to get more streamers involved to help them get discovered and grow and really entertain our space and everything that we're doing on Twitch, right? It's like have fun with these different groups and like fun unique ways. And like what does that look like, right? When we think about the advancement and progression of technology, what will that look like with the viewing experience? Um, and how will things grow? Like you see us, like we started like doing like new shows and new programs that are like RP, you know, RPG driven where the audience can dictate what the characters in the show, you know, do. We start co- collaborating with like linear television shows where an episode like airs on Twitch or it's like created on Twitch. You know, you start to see artists performing live on Twitch, you know, at venues, you know, <laughs> to more audiences that are sitting there watching them play their guitar, you know, by the water sitting at a sunset. And then there's just so much cool stuff going on. So I think as we see more and our space continues to grow, we're going to see things really push the envelope. And I think we're going to look to be on the forefront of that and support as much as we can. Amazing. Well, we all know how great everything over there at Twitch is going. And, you know, we're all thankful for its kind of place in this ecosystem, creating this new stream and, you know, availability for everyone to kind of engage and kind of see something that they love. So, you know, thanks so much for joining us. This was extremely insightful. So tell everybody where they can find you. Thanks. Yeah. Just come check me out on Twitter. You can check me out at Bishop Christian and come say hi. And if I can help and add value in any way, I'm glad to do my best. Definitely. So, you know, thanks everybody again for tuning in and make sure to follow me on Twitter, Justin J E S Q check Apple podcasts for all our past episodes. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why, what do we know about magnesium? 
Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.